listeners and welcome to a very special interstitial NK News podcast recorded today on Thursday the 23rd of November and I have gathered here in the room with me Colin Zwerko and Shreyas Reddy and we're doing a very special episode because today is the 60th anniversary of the very first episode of Doctor Who being broadcast. Now Doctor Who, an unearthly child, uh, started on 23rd of November uh, 1963 and we're here to uh, talk about your memories of Doctor Who. What was the first story you ever saw, Colin? Uh, the the episode where they all where he landed in North Korea and stopped uh, a bit. We're not using this, are we? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> no, no. We, of course we are. We, uh, no, we are doing a very special episode because Alana and I, when we talked on Tuesday for the episode released yesterday, we were speculating when there would be an, a satellite launch, and it wasn't even twelve hours later that it happened. And there's been a lot of news. So here we are. Was that after the announcement came out? After which announcement? Oh, yeah, it was after the, yeah, uh, the warning to the, to the Japanese coast. Trying to see how prescient she was. Okay. Yeah, and, and North Korea had given a window. and yeah, So it was definitely after that announcement before the window had started. And so we're here because I guess North Korea fooled us all again because it, it actually launched before its own self-declared window, didn't it? Yeah, a few hours before. So the launch went off just before 11 p.m. on the 21st of November, and the, the window that they announced was starting November 22nd. Now, so, why, why would they do that? It's hard to say. These types of warnings are ostensibly for safety, mm-hmm. for the safety of mariners and fl- and flights, I guess. Right. So I guess you could say that the people weren't properly prepared to you know not be in those drop zones, but you know we haven't heard any news that anyone was affected by these drops. Right. But in, in Japan, uh, on the islands, uh, what down Okinawa, I guess, so they did actually have alarms that went off, right, Tres? They did have uh, alarms that went off. And a warning as well, but then once they realized they were essentially safe, they withdrew, they withdrew that and everything yeah. went back to normal. That was within about 10 minutes, yeah. I believe. Okay. Well, uh, it, it's a fast-moving rocket, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's, and I think it honestly didn't, wouldn't have, it's just more a protocol than anything else. Yeah. They're saying, you know, this might, there might be reason to take shelter, to take precautions, but in such case, especially when you're talking about a satellite launch, it was uh, always likely to go over. Yeah, so this was the third launch or the th- third attempt. Was it successful? I mean, all indications so far do suggest it was successful. The U.S. and South Korean authorities also confirmed that the satellite is in orbit. Obviously, North Korea claimed success first, but there were still questions at the time about how uh, reliable that claim was. Since then, U.S. military and South Korean authorities have said, yes, we believe it is in orbit. But they're still trying to analyze the data further to just see how it's performing. Right. And there are bigger questions, of course. At the end of the day, we're talking about a military reconnaissance satellite. Yeah. So the questions are, in terms of communications, at, you need to be able to maintain reliable communications between the ground and the satellite. And mm-hmm. that's something that, so far, we still don't know how well that will function. North Korea certainly claimed that it has received satellite images of U.S. military bases in Guam. Right. But um, That's the yeah. whole purpose, right, of a reconnaissance satellite. You go up there, you take better quality photographs than you can yeah. buy. But the, the, we've, we've done a... I think we've talked about this before in the podcast or certainly in an NK News story that you can probably buy better quality imaging from a commercial website taken from a satellite than we believe North Korea's camera attached to the satellite might be. What are your thoughts on that, Colin? I mean, that's all just pure speculation. We don't know what the quality of this camera is. There was a, I think the the South Korean mm. sort of propaganda 
tended to dominate the headlines and maybe has affected people's opinions on the quality of this camera. Well, but didn't we, not we, didn't South Korea salvage the first satellite with the camera on it? I mean, don't they, haven't they analyzed that? They've been shady. They haven't ah. been willing to share the evidence with even right. the United the, the United Nations uh, panel of experts in charge yeah. of sanctions. So ah. I think basically we can't assume the quality of this camera at all. We okay. don't know what what level of of quality it's going to have. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to just entertain speculation. What's the best quality commercially available uh, camera imaging right now? I'm forgetting, but it's sub sub one meter mm-hmm. okay. per, per pixel. Right. Um, yeah. I heard one number being tossed around, but I, you know, I don't look at these things of thirty centimeters. Yeah. Which would be very, very detailed indeed. Yeah, so, yeah, I think so. So if North Korea was to to get better than that, that would be really, really good imaging. But we don't know yet. Is it possible, that, like in the help that Russia offered North Korea, rather than or in addition to rocketry, they may have given a better quality camera? Is that something we could speculate on? It's all you know. That's of course maybe, but I think you'd have to ask someone more technically knowledgeable. Mm. But basically, they didn't change. The flight cord, the coordinates for the drop zones at all across the the three launches. So from the May and the August failed launches until this week's launch, yep. they at least provided the same exact an indication that it would be the same exact plan mm-hmm. for all three launches. So um, that either suggests that whatever help they got on the launch aspect of things would have happened before the first launch, but maybe not mm. in the middle. That's what we've seen some experts say. As far as the camera, I think we'd have to know whether or not what the likelihood is of being able to interchange a camera inside this module, uh, inside the satellite, and whether or not you can just simply switch it out, and then whether it would all connect together, and if that would change the weight, or I don't Mm. know, who knows? These are good questions. And and, And, and go on, Travis. So, I mean, the thing is, when you're talking about, in general, anything aerospace-related, you're going to go for a high level of precision engineering for space Yep. Even more so. Yep. So chances are, whatever they were developing, it would have been very hard to just swap something out unless by some miracle it happened to be an exact match. Mm-hmm. Because you'd have to go back to a drawing board with your calculations, how you're uh, manufacturing the rest of the things that fit in with it. So it would have, given the kind of short time frame we've seen, yeah. it seems like it would have been, it's not, not impossible, but certainly it would have been quite a challenge for them to make any changes in all likelihood like colin said the mm-hmm. details so far seem consistent with the previous launches the mm. uh, uh, approach that they took so it's quite likely that they're sticking to the plan they already had right. we don't know maybe in the future they do have further development plans they may consider taking up russian assistance then but at the moment certainly it seems like they were sticking with the plan they already had yeah, and i guess the premise of that question is just because the timing of the mm-hmm. the a lot more discussions with Russia and then the the meeting with Putin and yeah. Kim. Other, otherwise, I guess there was never any suggestion that they would like need an upgrade in between launches of the camera because the, the failures were with the yep with the rocket. But um, how, how would we in I mean, okay, given that you're wisely not speculating on 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 how good the camera imaging resolution would be, how would we ever find out? Do we imagine that North Korea would ever? boastfully show one of these photographs and say look what we got now or would there be attempts by south korea and the united states and japan to hack into this and try to steal imagery from it what, what are your thoughts on that yeah uh, yeah Japanese. please so, how would we ever know i mean so honestly the one question is obviously they said that they've got high-res images of u.s bases in guam that's right. what they said now 
Will they release it? Mm. Now, I think the experts are a little torn. Some might say that they might want to show off that, they, uh, that they're capable of this, but others would say, you know, why would they reveal what they have? Right. Why would they give away what they have managed to achieve? Either it might say that they're not as good as they claim, or it might yep. actually mm. let people analyze it. Yep. But the other aspect, of course, is the other way in the US, South Korea, Japan could look at it is maybe not necessarily through what is currently orbiting the Earth, mm -hmm. but they do have the wreckage from earlier. Now, they haven't, as Colin mentioned, they haven't really disclosed anything. Mm. They just summarily dismissed it as something that isn't fit for reconnaissance. Right. Chances are they would have had a chance to actually analyze that. If yep. we're saying uh, North Korea would have stuck with the same camera or something similar, they at least have some, uh, yeah. they would have some idea of what North Korea is genuinely capable of. Mm -hmm. Question is whether they will, whether the US, South Korea and Japan will reveal it or whether North Korea will re reveal it. I think they all have their own different reasons for perhaps wanting to just keep their cards close to your chest. Mm -hmm. But also in case they need to, they'll always be willing to kind of dismiss the other side's propaganda, the other side's narrative, if they want to If you ask it. me, I mean, given we've seen the last couple of years, uh, North Korea releasing a lot of photographs with pixelation and blurring in the background, I can imagine a picture of Kim Jong-un looking happily at, at some photograph and all we see is a massive blur. You know, we just don't see what yeah, it is. Yeah, that's true. They could do that too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so what's next? Then? I mean, we imagine there'll be more satellites, right? More, more recon satellites. Because yeah, you can't just have one. It's another good point is basically right now we might see a lot of uh, criticism of North Korea's capabilities, but even in state media and even Kim Jong-un is, well, obviously they're, they're celebrating it as an important achievement and mm -hmm. capability, but also saying that it's just a first, a first step. So the, the state media report that came out with the claim of the successful launch said that they would be launching multiple more in the, in the near future. And they, they said that there was kind of this like a procedural thing embedded in it where they said we are going to present our plan mm -hmm. to the to the uh, plenary meeting of the party and so they plan to launch these in 2024 was the, so maybe we shouldn't expect any in the next couple of months okay but you know it could be like other countries where they could be launching every month they could just be, or maybe not that often but they could be launching quite often and then once they get and they even said in the report like mm. have satellites at different orbits and then you're achieving being able to check a certain spot more frequently from different angles, different times of day. Yep. And on just like the the frequency of the, uh, just on this one satellite that they have now, one satellite expert named Marco Langbroek, I don't know if I have the pronunciation right, but he, he basically told me that this satellite now, which he's confirmed is orbiting, will pass with about two times per day of okay. getting, of getting uh, the possibility of getting good images of right. a certain spot. Yeah. So any given place on Earth, it'll pass twice a day. I think he was referring to either Guam or, ah. the, or the Korean Peninsula. Okay. All right. But yeah, in the future, you'll be, they'll have a lot more than that. So. Now, South Korea, if I recall, hasn't yet put up its own first reconnaissance satellite, right? That's coming in, what, a week or so? Uh, that's coming on 30th November, yes. Right. Now, obviously, these things don't really mean much, but is South Korea concerned about or, or is it embarrassed about the fact that North Korea, you know, put one up first? I mean, they're not going to say it that way, but certainly there's one would imagine that both countries have at various times perhaps looked at the other side and said, which can we do it first? But right. also at the same time, can we do it better? And mm -hmm. I think 
Obviously, in this case, North Korea has done it first. Right. South Korea has been working on its capabilities for a while, developing this. And I think at the moment, they seem set for a launch a week from now. This is going to take off from the US. They're using a SpaceX vehicle. Huh. And so, yeah, I think we'll have to see what they produce. I suspect they will probably use it as a chance to highlight what they're doing or what they claim to be doing better than North Korea. Does but it seem we'll like prestige out. to you? Because mostly prestige? Because, I mean, you've got these flights. These are U.S. military flights, but they're going up and down the coast, you know, far away from the coast mm. every single day, you know, ten, five, ten times per day, peering in deep into North Korea, and South Korea gets access to this. Yeah. So in terms of available right. reconnaissance, it's just leagues above right now. Yeah. You know, although we don't know what North yeah, Korea uh, might be getting from its partners. but And you'd have to say, obviously, we're... In the world right now, we're in a phase where South Korea's relations with the U.S. and Japan are at a, a high compared to anything that they've had in the last few years. They're talking about real-time intelligence sharing in multiple areas. Certainly, you'd think that with those capabilities, within that with that cooperation, if they need support, they might be able to get uh, better resources, better results from, let's say, the U.S., which has ad- uh, very advanced capabilities already. Yeah. Of course, there might there would be questions about how much the U.S. is willing to share. Right. Wow. So there, I think there's also been this thing in the, over the past few years, and certainly it accelerated during the Donald Trump era, where some sections of South Korea were saying, "Can we truly count on the U.S. to always be there for mm-hmm. us, to always offer us help with these things?" But as Colin said, there's also a prestige matter, not just when it comes to rivalry with the other Korea, but also just. South Korea's own tendency for self-sufficiency. In fact, it's kind of interesting that they're actually going with SpaceX rocket for this one because a few months ago I worked on something related to South Korea's space ambitions for Korea Pro, our sister site focused on South Korea. And one of the experts I spoke to highlighted that South Korea has a tendency, it has a bit of a reputation in the space sector for perhaps trying focusing too much on wanting to do everything itself. Mm. It tries to develop its own launch capabilities where it could easily just use US capabilities or something else. Well, not this time, though, because they're yeah. using SpaceX. So exactly. That's... So in this case, clearly they are, they're saying, look, we're developing the satellite, but we're willing to go with a solution that's already out there. We're not going to just reinvent the wheel. Colin, have you looked at the uh, the Rodong Shinmon or any other North Korean media to see how this is uh, this launch has been reported? Yeah, it's quite subdued right now. So I would, I would, mm. I'm just thinking that there's going to be a lot more reporting in state media in the coming days. I think uh, yeah. there was a short report on the launch. I mean, there's like stuff that I don't know if we need to get into here about how state media was reported a Kim Jong Un visit in real time yesterday, and that mm. almost never happens in the last like six or seven years. Right. So that was kind of rare. And then just photos of the launch only, whereas with the big ICBMs in the last year, they've typically gone with some the top the infamous Top Gun edited uh, video footage of these right. launches. So in that sense, it was quite subdued. And I, I just think that they're probably going to air some big documentary in the next few days. And so looking back in previous years, if, if they really want to celebrate this, um, which I think they will. I think they're going to have conferences and concerts mm. and celebrating the scientists. And this is the kind of stuff that they stopped doing publicly since 2018, even though they've tested some ICBMs and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think they're going to milk this milk as this a gigantic yeah. achievement. And, you know, they have an election coming up on, on Sunday. So maybe it's to curry favor with the voters. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But. <laughs> Gosh, for a moment there, you made my mind go blank because I did have a follow-up question. 
So North Korea already has a uh, reconnaissance satellite in orbit. South Korea is soon to have one. And uh, the question is, I guess, what's the what's the effect of all this? What does it all mean? Now, I know there are some voices out there that are saying, actually, it might be a good thing, might lead to uh, a better balancing or more peace between the two Koreas, because this way both Koreas know what the other one is up to and can see troop movements ahead of any real kinetic action, that sort of thing. What have you heard, Treas? I mean, yeah, I think there are obviously differing opinions on this. Some would say pretty much both sides are flexing on each other. The rivalry is just going to step up and certainly... There have been other consequences, which we'll get later about the the suspending an inter-Korean military mm. agreement, using this as a uh, cause, as a reason for it, as a pretext for it. But you're right, there's also that aspect that now both countries will be able to see what the other side is doing better. Certainly, you'd argue that there have been other capabilities in other forms for a while. But I've heard from experts over the past year that, you know, it might not be a bad thing if... North Korea is wants to look at U.S. troop movements in the region, South mm-hmm. Korean troop movements, and sees, oh, they're not actually doing anything that will perhaps involve attacking us, then it might clear the air a little bit. But I think at the same time, we also need to recognize that a lot of these things just tend to rise and fall with political shifts. I mean, we say in South Korea and the U.S. in particular, because leaders come and go, policies keep shifting. But even in North Korea, depending on their needs, certainly there have been times when they've wanted to be more diplomatic, other times where they wanted to be more aggressive. So I think more information will be helpful. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what they do with that information comes down to how they feel about it. And that's also a lot. That's also you have to remember the long game aspect of it. So uh, having more eyes and a better understanding of the enemy's moves and positions you're not going to achieve that with one satellite. So and I, uh, so that was something that. Ankit Panda wrote on our website mm. about about how maybe better, more information is a good thing mm-hmm. uh, for North Korea to have. And then another expert, Marcus Karlaska, said that maybe he kind of disagreed and he said that North Korea has to be good at analyzing the information they have. Mm. And what if it doesn't go up the, the chain to Kim Jong-un in the most reasonable way, the analysis? And maybe we don't know what they're going to do with this information, I think, what, what his point was. And so yeah, I just think it's going to be a long time before they have enough independent information and satellites and images and then a whole system around analyzing that to let them think, oh, well, actually these joint military drills that the U.S. and South Korea are doing are not a threat to us. We can actually see with our own eyes that they're far away from the border and they're not aimed at us. I think that's kind of a fantasy. Mm. Even though that's been the case, it's always been political. And North Korea yeah. will still call them yeah. a threat and a provocation. Well, the tra- and there's another thing. Uh, I mean, China some time ago tested a weapon in space where you can uh, shoot or somehow dismantle another a, a satellite via distance. Now, what if, they, what if the two Koreas start trying to shoot each other's satellites down or break them apart? That could be a... That'd be a good podcast. Could, well, it could be a good podcast. Yeah, but it, it would just simply uh, make another sphere of warfare, I guess, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. So well, let's not think about that until let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Speaking okay, so, of escalations, I think. Right. Well, what about so the decision by South Korea to uh, to temporarily suspend the much maligned comprehensive military agreement? Well, it was something that certainly the current administration, the uh, Yoon Suk-yeol administration, has been talking about all year long. Uh, they never f- uh, particularly agreed with the uh, with the mm. deal in the first place, which was reached during the previous administration of President Moon Jae-in. Yeah, and this uh, gives it a nice yeah, excuse. But, exactly. But what does it mean in practice? Are they going to start yeah. building more sentry posts on the demilitarization? What does it mean? Well, so far, 
they've just suspended one provision, which was the establishment of a no-fly buffer zone along the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now they can fly closer to the border. That's essentially the it. Uh, at least that's what the principle is. And certainly in the past, there have been experts and there have been indications that some in South Korea and the US said, you know, we need to be able to fly closer to the border. Mm. What if we need essential support mm-hmm. or medical services or whatever? Or but, firefighting. Yeah, or firefighting. But at the same time, they also... The, uh, so we uh, spoke to uh, yesterday. We spoke to James Minich, who used to be secretary of the UN Command of Military Armistice Commission from 2013 to 2016, and he said that you know during his time, this is pre-CMA, and also a period of high tensions. Essentially, the sta- they ha- already did have uh, procedures in place. They've always had procedures in place saying if we need to do something in that region, if we need to operate flights there, yeah. we will communicate it properly to North Korea, even during the CMA period. There would be times when flights would operate for similar reasons or maybe for praying to decontaminate during periods of uh, infectious diseases. So it's not like these things have not been going on. So, uh, But it's just that, you know, now they can do it. Perhaps they can say it's, it'll be easier to do it. But at the end of the day, that hasn't fundamentally changed the approach. You'll still need to exercise caution no right. matter what. But it opens the door to greater changes, to so, bigger changes. So what I'm hearing is right now, the only change is they can fly closer to the demilitarized zone probably without communicating to North Korea that that's what they're doing. That really is it. But you, as you say, it opens the door, so maybe next month they decide to uh, and suspend another clause. The, well, that's now, on the South Korean side. Yeah. So also we should say that North Korea came out with their response this morning, mm. today's Thursday, saying that they scrapped the deal entirely. And importantly, more importantly, they uh-huh. said we will forward deploy more powerful weapons mm. and more modern equipment to the border. So this is what they said. So, yeah, you're going to see South Korea try to substantiate this, I would think, with telling the public what kind of weapons North Korea is deploying, how much closer, if they are doing so. And they'll achieve that through their reconnaissance flights that they're going to do more on the border now that they said uh, right. with their partial suspension. But so far this morning, we're not seeing any indication from South Korea that their response to the North's full suspension would be a commensurate full suspension on the South Korean side. So in other words, South Korea suspended partially yesterday, blaming the North Korean satellite launch. Yep. Today, North Korea suspended fully, blaming South Korea's partial suspension. And South Korea is not answering with a full suspension of its own. So, Right, but, but they have uh, in the past, North Korea has in the past uh, unilaterally suspended all number of things, including the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and then not done anything in practice about it for some time, and then later on done something. So it, it remains to be seen whether this actually turns into d- direct, immediate, yeah. concrete action, yeah, or whether it's simply a, a verbal suspension and we find out later on. I mean, one, one reason to look at this as, as not necessarily a harbinger of giant changes immediately would be they've already both kind of agreed in certain periods mm. to throw it out the window for like an, a, a, a clash. So... There were drone incursions that, mm. you know, where one where one side, North Korea, sends drones across the border. That's an obvious violation if there ever was one. And then South Korea is like, well, you did that to us. So we're going to do that to you. And then they send them, they send drones across the border right. as well. That's a violation. Does it mean that when you look back since 2018, September, when they signed this, mm-hmm. almost immediately both sides started to, and I don't, I don't mean to both sides this, I'm sorry. But what I mean is that almost immediately... North Korea took the stance that South Korea, if you continue to do joint drills, no matter if they're to the letter of the the agreement, which said don't do joint drills in the border area, 
but the the agreement also said let's talk about ending all joint drills but uh-huh. it didn't agree on that point uh-huh. specifically but north korea still said anytime they did a joint drill they said mm-hmm. you're violating the the spirit or the intent uh-huh. and then south korea would come back and say the same thing about intent or spirit of right. the agreement so this agreement has not been any sort of solid thing that both sides have held on to at all since the very beginning so i would say you both live here in south korea and work here are you more concerned about the danger of escalation towards kinetic action than you were yesterday or last week? Uh, it's not a good question for us. I mean, we there can be ICBMs. There could be like 50 missile tests in a day like last year, and we're still not going to say that we're <laughs> afraid of anything happening because mm-hmm. it's so constant. But Are I'm you noticing just, any greater fear amongst the South Korean public? I mean, I, I, I'll just say that yesterday when one of our colleagues reached out, someone who is perhaps in part of security, you know, in, in that zone, and I think the first question is quite telling, which is like, North Korea launched a satellite. Essentially, I think you know, South Koreans have lived with this for a long time. Agreements come and go. Escalations come and go. And at the end of the day, this is something that they're kind of all used to. So some of them, perhaps, I'm sure, will be more concerned. But for many, life goes on. Mm-hmm. Maybe and, border yeah, area people might exactly. have a little bit more to worry about. But at the same time, the leaflets mm. saga has also gone from well it's also it's come the back. whole scale it, it, it was it was a big threat and then they agreed to stop it and now they've agreed south korea said they're back on and then mm. they've done some launches and north korea threatened and then there hasn't been a big clash or a war so i think right. north korea has threatened on occasions to shell those areas where uh, where leaflets and balloons are, are earlier this month from. i believe too right but they haven't actually done it yet have they not in a, not in some time no. maybe a few years ago maybe before 20 18? Yeah, I think it's been a while. Uh, But in any case, I think, especially those border areas, they also, I think, more than any the rest of South South Korea, they live with this as a constant threat. And they look and say, if North Korea fires a missile or something in our direction, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? It's going to hit us in 15, 20 minutes. So for them, it is part of daily life. Obviously, they would not want an escalation, but it's also it is something that they live with. So the implications at this point, long-term, are more in terms of, well, partly the rhetoric, but also, I think, at the structural changes in terms of military activities from both sides. Certainly, in the case of North Korea, you can say that they've always been in that position where it doesn't take much for them to just switch back to full-scale activity. And as Colin said, Certainly, there have been uh, provocation from both sides over the uh, this period. Perhaps you can say North Korea a little more openly. But in the case of South Korea as well, so just going back to the point, essentially this partial suspension from uh, Wednesday, it'll allow them to carry out increased surveillance. But going beyond that, they can, over time, it opens the door for them to start making wider changes, mm-hmm. start bringing in more troops and military presence to the border areas. Live fire exercise. That's something that even the current nominee for chief of the military's joint chiefs of staff, uh, he's been talking about how the lack of live fire exercises in the border areas uh, has essentially been part of the gradual weakening of the mm. South Korean military. So I think these are all talking points to some extent. Uh, not everyone will agree with whether it's actually made any meaningful change, yeah. but it does reopen the door for these kinds of changes. But I think for day-to-day life, a lot of it goes on as it did. Colin, do you think the leaders of North Korea live in fear of escalation? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, they're largely control in control of the whether or not 
the situation is escalating, right? Mm. Uh, I think. I mean, so- sometimes they've said over the years or over the decades, even you know, we we feel under threat and and we're threatened by this, and you know, America's on the verge of launching an all-out war. And oh, you t- mean their justification for? Yeah. I mean, if if their true position is protect the system, the regime system, Kim Jong Un's leadership, then sure, they've got a lot to worry about from the U.S. and South Korea. But I don't think South Korea and the U.S. are planning an invasion. So mm. I, think, I feel like that's obviously a, an exaggeration on North Korea's part. But this is all just my opinion. I, sure. I think the, the, the goal is, from South Korea and U.S. perspective, maybe not the goal, but the wish is regime mm. change. But I don't think they're going to do anything to enact that that would risk a war in the region. So from that perspective, I think Kim is always trying to protect himself. And he has these nukes. He has It's just escalating in mm. terms of their abilities. He's got a lot more now than he had a few years ago and you know what are they doing to to turn this down it's an arms yeah. race yeah it certainly is and of course we should remember at this time that a lot of the de-escalation measures that were put into place when president moon jae-in was in power here in south korea have fallen apart because north korea stopped answering the phone from the south korean government right so the exact time when you want de-escalation measures like hotlines and things is the time when north korea chooses not to use them yeah it depends on your perspective on whether or not these are provocations or not well, I, I, I'm a man in favor of de-escalation. Uh, Shreya's final thoughts? I mean, essentially, I, I think I would say that there's still more to be, there, there will still be more steps along the way, particularly from the South Korean side. I think North Korea has at least, by saying it's completely doing away with the uh, CMA, yeah. it's kind of said, you know, we are going to return to activity. How that will play out in a concrete manner, that it'll take time before they can also fully go away. But I think this does set up South Korea for a potential return to full-scale border militarization and other activities that mm. I know the current administration has been talking about for a while. So how it'll play out, I think we'll have to wait for the rhetoric to die down a little bit and see what practical measures come into play because right now it just seems more like one side is saying something, the other side is responding. And yeah, but we can at least expect this to go on for a while. Okay, wow. Final thoughts from you, Colin? Uh, Things to look for? I mean, I was looking back on last October, November. Last year, there was so many missile tests Mm. and uh, kind of clashes between the two sides. You know, each side was accusing each other of violating certain things that were related to this military agreement. Yeah. It's hard to predict exactly if they're going to be in the mood to stir something up, North Korea, like by doing these artillery drills and accusing South Korea of violating this or that. But we just, there was a missile test this morning that South Korea said failed from North Korea. Hmm. I've seen opinions that this could be not just a short range, but maybe something longer uh-huh. range, maybe something new. I mean, probably more missile tests in the future. And then maybe South Korea will, will respond as they usually do, which is condemnation, but they're not going to do anything. And so it's really, I don't think that there's any sign of some gigantic clash unless it's kind of trumped up and then one side makes a mistake or doesn't want to de-escalate. Okay, wow. So we're, uh, we're, we're at an interesting point here. We're in a new cycle of escalation. We'll uh, see in a week or so how the South Korean reconnaissance satellite launch goes, whether that's a success or not. Thanks very much for coming on the show today, Shreyas Reddy and Collins Werko. And uh, yeah, keep reporting and keep watching and let's come back and talk again in the future. Thanks. Thanks for having us. NK News has launched a new app that makes staying updated on all things North Korea easier than ever. The app gives access to the latest articles so you'll never miss a breaking story. 
It's fast, convenient and designed with readers in mind. Our team is dedicated to bringing you the most accurate and insightful information about North Korea with content and analysis unavailable elsewhere. Don't delay. Download the NK News app from Apple's App Store or Google Play and stay connected with the latest North Korea news and analysis. The app also works with NK Pro subscriptions, offering full access to NK Pro content. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius Gabby Magnuson who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions and fixes the audio levels. Thank you and listen again next time. <laughs>